0: As Andy just shared with us, uh, our passage this morning is actually follows right on the heels of the parable we heard in Matthew 25 last week. Uh, It's Jesus sharing the middle of three different parables. This morning, our passage will be from Matthew 25, this time starting with verse 14. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Jesus said, For it is as if a man going on a journey... Summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off off and dug a hole in the ground where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. A few years ago, someone called the Butterball Turkey Hotline to ask about a turkey that they'd had For a while. I'm wondering, the caller asked, if the turkey is still safe to eat after it's been in the freezer for 14 years. (laughs) The customer service rep said that yes, as long as the freezer had maintained a constant temperature of 32 degrees or lower, it would be safe to eat, but that it probably wouldn't taste very good after all that time. That's what we thought, the caller said. We'll just donate it to the church. If we peel back the layers of what's happening in that story and in our parable this morning, I think we would find that they're not all that dissimilar. The parable is a familiar one to us. It shows up every three years in the lectionary with an occasional appearance in between. And its position in the lectionary calendar tends to correspond with what is traditionally stewardship season, in a lot of churches. Whether this is intentional or not, I I think the parable shines a light on an unfortunate truth. The fact that for generations, the Christian church has given stewardship a bad name. And I'll be the first to admit that. We too often make the mistake of equating stewardship with philanthropy. Or we use the term as a euphemism for fundraising. So what happens then is like the caller to the turkey hotline, we give God what's left over. What's left over of our time, of our energy, of our stuff. And that, my friends, turns out to be nothing like what Jesus intends. A man goes on a journey. Before he leaves, he summons three of his servants and entrusts them with the management of his financial resources. It's in the form of talents, or talanta in the Greek. Talanta were the largest units of currency in the Roman system, and each talantan weighed literally about 75 pounds. And a 75-pound talantan was the equivalent of a lifetime of wages for the average worker of that time conservatively that's about three hundred thousand dollars each to one the master gives a lot five talents to another two talents to the third one talent that would be about 2.4 million dollars altogether each servant jesus says is given according to his ability so what do they do well it's not their money it's their masters we're told And he is not an easy man. So the first servant takes the money to the market, invests it, takes a risk, and and it pays off. He doubles his investment. Servant number two does the same thing. The third servant plays it safe. He's prudent, cautious, conservative. He buries his master's money in the ground for safekeeping. When the master returns home, the servant reports back, Servant number one tells him what happened. His one and a half million dollars is now three million dollars. And his master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. The same thing for servant number two. His 600,000 is now 1.2 million. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now we have to assume that a wealthy landowner is a pretty shrewd financial manager himself. He knows immediately what's happened. He knows the first two servants took some risks with his money and it paid off. He likes their creativity and their ambition. But now it's it's servant number three's turn to report. He pulls out his one talent, his $300,000, and brushes the dirt off. Here it is, sir, exactly what you gave me. I kept it safe while you were gone. And for his efforts, the man is treated about as harshly as anyone in the entire Bible. Stripped of all his possessions, kicked out, And his money is added to the account of servant number one. It seems to me, and maybe you too, that the master in the parable is overreacting. After all, the servant didn't lose money, which is more than I can say about some of the investments I've made in my life. At some point, we've all invested something time, love, money, energy, whatever. And in retrospect, We look back and say it was a mistake. But in God's economy, at least according to this parable, failure is not making mistakes. Failure is breaking even. The first servant produces a return that's two and a half times what the second servant does. So obviously, this is not about the bottom line. The difference between the first two servants and the third is not how much profit they made, It's that they did something. They took a chance. They risked. About 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the coast of New England. The first year, they established a town. The second year, they elected a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward out into the wilderness. In the fourth year, The people tried to impeach the town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles west into a wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway? Here were a people that had just traveled 3,000 miles across the angry ocean and overcome incredible hardships to get to where they were. But in just a few years, they had lost their ability to see five miles out of town. They had lost their willingness to risk. They were now happy with just breaking even. All the people who are praised in biblical biblical history, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Mary, Elijah, Rahab, David, Paul, the list goes on and on. All the people who are praised in the Bible took huge risks in their lives. And sometimes they made huge mistakes. But the message seems to be that faith isn't just about always getting it right. Faith is a way of life. And to live by faith is to put it all on the line every single day. To have faith is to take risks. On the other hand, all the people who are condemned in biblical stories are afraid to do just that. So they build barns to store up their treasures. They hide behind religious rules. They turn deaf ears to God. They're just trying to break even, to not lose ground. But what happens is that they end up losing the very thing they're so carefully trying to keep. It doesn't take long to look around and to see what First Presbyterian Church has been given. To see what God has entrusted to our care. We've been truly blessed. So then the question for us, First Presbyterian, is what are we going to do with it? I'm sure I don't need to remind you, but we are in the midst of stewardship season. We're in the process of collecting pledges for the next year, and soon we'll begin formulating the budget for 2024. What are we going to do with our time, our lives, and our talents? That's what this season of stewardship's all about. This practice of pledging and giving and offering, committing who we are and what we have, not to the church, but to God. And this is risky. Risky because faith always involves an element of risk. Trusting that God is leading us into a certain direction and being faithful enough to take the next step, even when we can't necessarily see where the road leads or ends. Nothing worthwhile is ever accomplished without commitment. And right now, in the life of our congregation, I believe that we are being invited by God to make a commitment to our future. This is not just a commitment to a budget and a building and getting more bodies in the pews. This is a commitment to not play it safe, committing to taking risk and investing in our future together. This morning's story is one of three parables, as I mentioned, in this 25th chapter of Matthew. And like last week's parable of the ten bridesmaids, all three have to do with what scholars call the parousia, the return of Christ in final judgment. It's not hard to figure out from this parable that when Christ returns in glory, He's not hoping to hear the church say, here, look, look how great we've done. Everything is just the way you left it. We're called to something more. We're called to move ahead and to carry the vision forward. In biblical terminology, a steward is a manager, someone who manages what belongs to someone else. We're all stewards. We're all managers of what God has given us. So it seems to me that this whole stewardship thing is simply about managing hope. That what we do with our commitments of time and talents and treasures today and next week and next year and for years to come is about ensuring that the hope we've found in Jesus Christ will be made available to the generations of people we will probably never meet. That seems to me to be exactly what Jesus had in mind. It's God's work, but with our hands. Several years ago, someone interviewed Irma Bombeck, the late newspaper columnist. The interviewer asked her if she had a stash of ideas that she had saved over the years so that she could be guaranteed to have something to write about every week in her column. As someone who has to rely on ideas and stories and words to do my job each week, I thought her response was fascinating. I don't save anything, she said. My pockets are empty at the end of the week. My gas tank is empty. So is my file of ideas. I trot out the best I've got and come the next week, I bargain, I whimper, I make promises, I throw myself on the mercy of the Almighty For just three more columns in exchange for cleaning my oven. I do not get to the point, I did not get to that point overnight, she says. I came from a family of savers. Over the years, I've seen a fair number of relatives who died leaving candles that had never been lit, appliances that never got out of the box. I get, it gets to be a habit, this holding back, she says. But I've learned that silverware tarnishes when it isn't used. Perfume turns to alcohol. Candles melt in the attic over the summer. And ideas that are saved for a dry week often become dated and useless. She ends with these poignant words. I always had a dream that when I'm asked to give an accounting of my life to a higher court, they'll ask me something like, so empty your pockets. What have you got left of your life? any dreams that were unfulfilled, any used talents that we gave you when you were born that you still have left, any unsaid compliments or bits of love that you haven't spread around. And she says, I'll answer, I have nothing to return. I'm as naked as the day as I was born. I spent everything you gave me. I spent everything You gave me. Well done, good and faithful servant. May it be so for all of us.
1: Let us turn to God in prayer. Create a home among us, O Christ, with a long table where you welcome all your people. Do not forget the empty seat beside the anxious the lonely chair next to the confused, the vacant pew next to the hungry. But let us find you there, and let us boldly join you. May your reign, O Christ, be good news to those who seek out truth, and disruption to those who do not. And may we join you in the search, finding you walking the streets of Knoxville, or breaking bread with families from Family Promise building houses with Habitat for Humanity, or welcoming refugees with Bridge Refugee Services. We lift up our thanksgiving for those who steadfastly work to ensure your people are cared for and loved, pausing to lift them up in the silence of our hearts. O Christ, may we find you in forgotten places on the edge of things, among the stranger, the foreigner, and the immigrant. We lift up our thanksgiving for the ways in which you surprise us in forgotten places. O Christ, may we find you among children, learning to finger paint, climbing monkey bars, or playing in your creation. We pray for the children of our church, for the love they give us, and the ways that they teach us. We lift up our thanksgiving for our children and for those who teach and care for our children. O Christ, may we find you with the worried, silenced with nothing to say and space enough to keep it. May we find you in the unheard, turning our ears to those who desperately cry out for peace and justice. May we find you on the wrong side of the tracks, going where you should not, and finding a place to lay your head among the lost. May we find you singing our songs of justice and peace and standing among those who cry out for mercy. May we find you with a word that lives in the hopes of the afraid, a comforting peace for those who are broken. We pray for those especially living in war and conflict who do not know safe places, remembering our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, Israel and Palestine, in South Sudan, in places that are broken and longing for healing and restoration. We pray now, for our brothers and sisters around the world. O Christ, may we find you in the hospital room, in homes with the sick and dying, comforting those who are in pain and waiting to be restored. We remember those known to us, Laura Ford, Bob Samples, and Suzanne Emery, for Libba Wall, Mary Emily Christensen, Mary Ann Piper, Marilyn Bullock, and Donna Young. We lift up in thanksgiving those who are called to care for those who are sick and dying, knowing that it is not an easy job. And so in silence, we lift up those who are caregivers. O Christ, may we find you with those who are thankful for your abundance and have hearts that give and share with joy so that every person may experience your love and abundant life. We pray all these things in Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As a sign of our thanksgiving for the many blessings and abundance of life that God gives us, let us continue to worship God through our tithes and offerings.